Okay, I'm sitting down with Scott Casagrande. Scott, how are you today? I'm great. Looking forward to us talking. Well, thanks a lot for coming out here to uh, Joliet Central and sitting down with me here. So, Scott, why don't we start off with kind of a brief bio timeline, basically where you started, where you came from, where you're at. Um, well, I think my upbringing is not the normal band director in that my father was a very accomplished and focused um, band director and fantastic musician. So I grew up around great bands when I was a kid. Um, the first high school that he taught at was East Stroudsburg High School, which had about 800 kids in it and about 150, 175 in the band. And he was the private lesson teacher. So my house was constantly um, a revolving door of students coming in and, and taking lessons with him when he wasn't teaching at school. And um, the town was really revolved around the band program it was a source of great pride. And so the respect for the band and, and the accomplishments and the things that they did was, was, you know, a real, um, important influence on me at when I be, eventually became a young band director. Uh, when I was in middle school, we moved to Fairfax County, Virginia, which is a very well-known area for great bands. And, um, dad always valued the, um, camaraderie of band directors and the ability to learn from one another. And, and he had that a bit in Pennsylvania. Um, but he really, I think looked forward to being a part of that in Fairfax County. And that was definitely a, an inspiration for him. Um, his first school was, uh, not a very accomplished one. And that was very frustrating for him to grow that. Uh, but he eventually did with a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, uh, and then eventually he moved to Woodson high school, which became a powerhouse, great band program and one with a great reputation in history. Um, during that time I was at Lake Braddock secondary school. I was never a, um, member of of his high school band uh which was probably a good thing because <laughs> with our two personalities <laughs> we probably would have killed each other um but um i had a really really great high school band um that i never really respected until i got to college and realized that every kid didn't have that experience in high school and um because you know, my high school band director didn't do it like my father did. So it wasn't the right way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, and there were some personality conflicts with my high school band director that were tough to get past, but, um, ultimately the, the well-roundedness of that high school band, we had a, an amazing jazz program with many students that went on to North Texas and, uh, eventually into the military jazz bands, as well as great jazz educators. Um, our marching band was state champs for three of my four years in high school. So I got that bug in me. And then, but the most important aspect of the program, the focal point of the program was the concert band. And uh, we had great symphonic band 
uh, programs my senior year. We did the Hindemith Symphony and the Gian Festival Overture, and um, I actually got to conduct those two pieces as a senior in high school, mm. which was, of course, you know, leaning on my father as I would for the rest of my career. How do I do this? <laughs> um, and of course, he helped me, and and um, it was a great experience. Mm. So, um, there weren't really great music education programs in Virginia at the time. And, uh, since there, there are much better ones, but, um, so it was between Indiana and Illinois and I chose Illinois and, uh, here we are today because going to that school changed my life and the people that I met there and the great teachers and the experience the camaraderie of my classmates many of whom I still stay in touch with and uh, the energy that was on the campus at that time was so cool and uh, I loved every minute of it it just it just lit my fire like I didn't know it could be lit I mean I my fire for music was lit when I was in high school but my fire for music education got lit at 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 University of Illinois, and uh, and some of it came from my professors, and some of it came from my classmates. Um, but you know that that um, that experience of being there and and being in the midst of of being immersed in that was so inspiring, and I, I get excited just thinking about it. Mm. I I try and recreate that in any way that I can over the course of my career and, you know, building communities and, and building friendships and trying to learn from other people. It all started there. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that's been a big part of who I am as a teacher. I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn from other people. I'm invigorated by success in, in every aspect, you know, mm -hmm. so, who were some uh, professors at U of I that you were particularly close to or that were very influential? Well, uh, the main reason I went to Illinois was Robert Gray, who was the trombone teacher. When I was in high school, I studied with Elliot Chazanoff, who was at that time the principal trombone in the Air Force Band. And uh, he was pro probably my first educational and musical influence that was not a band director. And um, he was he was a great teacher and a great musician. Um, and, and he his style of teaching was genuinely about teaching. Um, and his style of musicianship was first rate. I mean, he he was a great musician, one of the greatest musicians I've ever known. Um, and, uh, the combination of those two just influenced me to this day. I still lean on a lot of the things that I learned in those one-on-one -on -one lessons from mm -hmm. him. Um, so he was the first influence and during my time at Illinois, probably the largest influence. Um, the people that I met at Illinois became larger influences after I graduated. Jim Keen and Gary Smith, you know, and, um, I, I, you know, the Gary's genuine 
uh, joy in in music and teaching was palpable. I mean, I still remember the first <laughs> marching band rehearsal and Gary just got up on this uh, podium and he had the whole 350 marching Illini around him and just the intensity and the excitement that that he brought to that rehearsal I had never experienced before. Mm. Um, and it was just pure joy. You know, he just loved being in front of the band. And, and that, I just, I can feel how I felt that day, you know. Um, the opposite of that was true when I walked into Mr. Keene's <laughs> rehearsal and it was pure fear, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just knew that we had to be prepared every day and uh, his, his intensity and preparation for rehearsal was, I mean, he would listen to rehearsals like from beginning to end. He would tape all of our rehearsals. Okay. And then he would listen to them from beginning to end. And he would tell us that he listened to the last rehearsal. And there were times that I always felt like, you know, he, he heard things in that last rehearsal and he called him on us, called us on it the next rehearsal, but we didn't do it that rehearsal. I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, I didn't hear that. And, um, uh, I mean, you know, that, that was probably a rarity, but you know, even at that point, his ability to hear things was just, hmm. you know, I don't know anybody that has ears like he does. I mean, he can walk in front of a band to this day. And, um, and I'm still learning from him on how, how to make a band sound better. And, uh, the way that he structures rehearsals and his pacing, um, and the way he hears things and reacts to things is just, um, there aren't many people better than that. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I felt very fortunate, lucky to have the right people in my path um, at the right time, you know, with my father always, you know, you know, think about this, do that, you know. Um, it took me a long time to, to realize, like I said earlier, that, you know, my father did it this way, so that's the right way to do it. Um, that wasn't necessarily the case, and it was probably a big part of my growing up as a young teacher is – What's my personality? What fits for me? Mm -hmm. You know, um, how do I get to the same result, but I can't necessarily take the same path? Um, and, I, and I think, you know, that's what most young teachers have a few people that they're influenced by. And, and the natural thing is to imitate. And that's what you should do. But eventually... You know, you pick and choose from the people that influence you until you get your own voice. And, and you know, some of the great teachers like um, Dave Morrison comes to mind. I, I have tremendous respect for Dave. And um, he gets up in front of a band and I still, to this, and he's in front of my band often. I still do not, I can't do what he does because... It's part of his personality. But when he comes into a rehearsal and walks out of a rehearsal, the band's different. Mm. And it's something about the way he does things. It's something about, you know, just the creative aspect of his 
his creativity is off the charts in his brain. He's just constantly creating. And, and the teaching, when he teaches, the creativity in his teaching comes out. Um, you know, so that's an example of, of someone who's influenced me, but I can't necessarily do what he does. Sure. I've stolen a lot of stuff from yeah, him, yeah, yeah. you know, but the way that he presents it, I can't do that. I have to be myself. Yeah. You know. So it's it's interesting. I, you know, as you're talking about your father, I teach at the school that I went to. Yeah. So, you know, these people weren't my, my parents, but... <laughs> In I've many been, ways, they probably were. Oh well, a, a lot. True. Mm-hmm. I walk in here each day. I don't really tell the kids this too much, but I get a little pit in my stomach every day just because I take the job seriously. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm just going, "Yeah, what am I doing?" Um, and my high school band director actually comes around a lot still. That's and, cool. Uh, it's cool, but I'm still really intimidated. Yeah. Do you still get intimidated by your musical mentors? Fewer and fewer of them. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think Jim Keen wants to be, <laughs> <laughs> so he is. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I I push back more and more. I think <laughs> to his chagrin and and probably mine too because you know, but I I don't know. I've been doing it a long time and mm-hmm. and the people that I look up to are probably, you know, I, I like, you know, like some of the people that, that you have interviewed here, I consider good friends, but I also consider really big mentors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can talk to them about anything and, but at the same time, um, I'm always learning from them. Sure, You know, we talk about, sports or wine or food or yeah yeah you know but uh you know band and music always comes into the picture sure. at some point i'm just trying to see how nervous i'm going to be in 20 years you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> so um as we kind of move on here you've got i i think one of the the top programs in the state and Thank and you. don't take this the wrong way i thought they sounded phenomenal five years ago they're better now <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know well, again that's, that's don't take that the wrong way Thank it's just you. like so what to you makes a great high school band program wow that's a loaded question and i didn't i didn't give you that question ahead of time no, I'm no, sorry no 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 it's <laughs> i can answer that question because it's something i think about all the time um i i think you know there's there's a balance it's you know it's just like anything in life, I mean, there has to be balance and there has to be, uh, in, in a band program, there has to be a balance of attention to music and attention to kids. And there are many band programs that lose that balance. And, um, you know, uh, I, I read a great article by Craig Kirchhoff recently where he, he, his point in the article was, are we teaching kids to love music or are we teaching kids to love our band program? Mm. And, um, and I think, I think it has to be both, you know, uh, but, but more importantly, I think, you know, every student grows out of their 
their high school experience or even their college experience. They grow out of it. And what's left after that needs to be music. And um, I think so many band directors can't see past the fact that, you know, their kids love to be in the band hall and the kids love to be together and they love to travel together and they love to do everything together. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the development in their life where they're, they're getting confidence about their relationships with other people. They're in a gain- social club. Yeah, sense. exactly. Exactly. It's really that part. I'm not diminishing that is really important. Um, and, but the focus to me always needs to be on the music. And we, we have, um, we have record numbers of people involved in music education in the United States right now. Yet, uh, orchestras are professional orchestras are closing their doors. Professional choirs, professional bands are closing their doors, uh, and and because they can't gain an audience. And why is that? Part of that is because music educators have not taught their kids how to love artistic music. Um, and that also goes back to colleges too, in, in my opinion. Um, colleges are not teaching music educators to be great musicians and, uh, and teaching them to love great music. I mean, how many, how many university band professors, band teachers, band conductors are focused on developing the band literature, which is important. It is, um, we, we have a huge amount of band literature now that's available to bands because college band directors have influenced and pushed composers to write more music for band. It's an important thing. But I think in many ways that those same directors, a lot of them, not all of them, uh, maybe even some of them, have neglected um, attention to their music education students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their students. I, I sometimes get the impression that there are some university conductors that um, that don't see people in front of them when they're conducting. They see instruments. Mm. Um, and I guess that's a natural thing. But um, where's the student in all this? You know, and and that's where the balance works in. It's about teaching kids, and it's about teaching music, and and that will never change in an education, should never change in an educational system. So, so let's go to, you, you just said that symphony orchestra enrollment is down, um, or I'm sorry, enrollment, symphony orchestra's attendance, you know, attendance yeah. is down. Where does um, literature come into place with that? And I ask that because I know that you're pretty big on programming some orchestral transcriptions at times as well. And I've, I've talked to some people that are pretty hardcore and they say, you know what? We've got band music. We're going to play band music. What's your opinion on that? I think great music is great music, <laughs> whether it's orchestral music or, I mean, you know, right here in these halls, yeah. uh, Salvation's Created. It's a choral piece, isn't it? Yeah, Chesnikov. Right. That's a great piece of music. It mm-hmm. works. Uh, some transcriptions work great for band and some don't. Um, you know, it was kind of enlightening to me when I started working with an orchestra orchestra our district uh orchestra wind section and i know these transcriptions uh, i don't you know i haven't worked with or rehearsed an orchestra on the pieces but uh we we did some pieces with the orchestra that i knew through band and 
it's a whole lot easier to play middle orchestra. <laughs> I mean, this violin player, those violin parts are written for violin. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're not written for clarinet, and it's a lot harder to play them on clarinet. Yeah. But um, great music is great music, and you know, there's nothing that that charges me more that than when we're outside of rehearsal and I'm in my office and I hear a kid walking up the hall whistling the melody because he can't get it out of his head. Sure. Or she, you know. Um, that's that's my life. You yeah. know, I, I'll get a, a song in my brain and, uh, you know, at times at night I'll be looking at the ceiling. Can't I can't go to sleep because <laughs> I can't get it out of my mind. Yeah. And um, there are... Uh, to bring that to other students is really gratifying. Sure. Because I, I worry about that here. We, we have a, a, an orchestra program here. We have a, a symphony orchestra that meets outside of school, but sure. not every band kid is involved with that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the choir kids are not involved at all, unless they're doing something with vocal mm-hmm. included. And then we have an AP music theory class, which you know 12 to 15 kids are involved with that. So then in our band program of about 120 here, I'd say we've probably got 80 kids that are not touching orchestral music at all, Mm -hmm. unless we program it here, which kind of concerns me a little bit because that's good stuff. You know, we don't want it to die. Right. At the same time, of course, we have those band pieces that if we don't program band pieces, no one's going to write for band anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the, the commissioning of band music is is such is such a um, an enigma hmm. for me because um, I mean on the one side if we don't commission composers to write for band music they're not going to and we want to encourage the ones that are doing really good work um, we want to encourage the ones that have potential. Because if they don't get encouragement, they're not going to get better. In other words, if they don't get work, they're not going to get better. Sure. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, on the other side of that, uh, there are many composers that saturate the market and saturate themselves. You know, they're not coming up with fresh ideas. And, you know, I once um, had a conversation with Dana Wilson Um he, we had him out to the school. He's a fascinating guy, and I always have loved his music because it's fresh. Mm-hmm. And I said, I asked him that question: How do you stay fresh? How do you how do you come up with new ideas? And he said, I don't when I'm when I'm not writing, I'm a jazz pianist. I, said, I had no idea. <laughs> like I never. I mean, he uses a lot of syncopated rhythms, sure. and there's there's some you can hear a jazz influence. But I mean, Leonard Bernstein had a jazz influence, and there are other great composers that had a sure. jazz influence. But you know, I I just since he said that, I, you know, I've noticed more more of that. But he had a mechanism which was fascinating to me of how he got away from uh overwriting and and creating new pieces that were you know interesting and fresh so i I think you know again you know there are a lot of composers that that were hot you know and and the band directors all of a sudden start buying everything that that Mm -hmm. they ever wrote and um and they maybe had one good piece you know and 
there's there's so many band directors in our world, Don, that that just don't either they don't value what good music is, or they don't want to do the work, or a combination of both. I mean, the amount of work that I do, and I know that every band director that is serious about putting good music in front of their students does the work that they do to choose the literature for their band is like hours and hours Mm -hmm. and hours. I mean, like, you know, like I have rituals that I do during the school year, actually mostly in the summer, um, where I have to take long trips where I'm in the car, like for four hours, one way. And that's when I'm doing my listening. Like, and I know that that drive is coming up and, and I'm kind of, well, you know, look through my lists and, um, and come up with a list of things that I think might work that I can be excited about. Um, and then I just do the listening and like, my trumpet section will never play that next, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, the list goes on and on and, and you never really know if you pick the right music until you're done with it. Sure. Sure. Know? But that process is oftentimes in, it, it appears to me that, that band directors don't go through that process and spend as much time as they should. Um, you know, that's our curriculum, you know, uh, a classroom teacher, they have the advantage of, in most cases, they have the uh, consistent curriculum from year to year. Yeah. Um, our textbook changes every concert, you know. And so I think it's really important that that band directors spend the time, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I love music. And so it's not, it's not work to listen to all that music. And if I decide that I'm not going to do that piece of music, I still – grow as a musician having gone through that process you know that's a great point because i think sometimes we as band directors will say this piece doesn't work for our band and then we just don't listen to it again right (laughs) right but you're right we do grow as people we grow as musicians with that every person that has sat in that chair has has said a version of what you said in that picking the correct literature is yep. is for lack of a better term instrumental ha 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 in our success <laughs> so let's let's say somebody that's either new to this or just wants to turn a corner and say all right i gotta start doing that what are the resources for them do they just go on pepper do they get the teaching music through performance books do they get the u of i cds that are out there what do you think everywhere everywhere i mean with with the internet the way it is i mean god you know i go through the same process in picking jazz ensemble literature and picking marching band literature i mean they're all three really long processes like i can remember particularly with jazz stuff i i just wanted i i wanted to be i wanted to be a great jazz musician when i was in in high school i was probably more focused on jazz than than anything and so you know, there was no internet at that time. My dad <laughs> used to drive me downtown to downtown DC and we go to the, uh, jazz record store, you know, the Washington version of the jazz record mart. And we'd spend all afternoon there. I just leave through records and like, I don't know this person. And I, you know, make a mental note or I buy the record, you know, if I could. 
So it's just it's just research. It never stops. I think the first step is just listening. You know, and um, one of my great influences as as a band director was going to the National Concert Band Festival uh, in 1992. It was the first one, and um, that was my third year of teaching at the time. And, you know, we just gotten graduated from college where I was surrounded, immersed in music all the time. And then you go out as a young band director and it doesn't sit in your lap anymore. Yeah. You know, you're, you're pulled out of that environment and you have to look for it. It doesn't, you know, in college you turn the corner, it's there, you know, and, um, and you have, too much to choose from. You have to make choices in college, you know, which recital you're going to, what concert you're going to go to that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you go uh, into your early years of teaching and you now have to look for it. And it's a whole, whole lot easier to find it now because of the internet, you know, uh, but you still have to look for it. And, so I started going to the National Concert Band Festival, and and that was such a formative time because I could listen to great bands play great literature for three or four days in a row. Um, now, granted, I didn't sit there the whole time. I love band music, but that's that's an overload. But at the same time, uh, it was different than the Midwest Clinic because there were no restrictions other than um, bands could not play uh, w- one piece of music could not be played more than once during okay. the course of the of the weekend. So, uh, you know, which I thought was a positive thing because I didn't hear any doubles. Sure. You know, like um, we go to Super State and... And our bands played the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot that. That's right. By pure coincidence, which is hilarious. Well, I took your recommendation, though. Oh, did I? That's Yeah. <laughs> Because back to the literature thing, I remember I texted you one night, like I said, I don't know what to do, and you said, oh, "What about La Procession?" So I don't know if you. No, I didn't do that. I, you didn't say that. I thought no, 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 your... I didn't play La Procession. Oh, I thought you did. No, no, okay. no, no. Well, I no, gotta cut this it, part out. But... What, <laughs> wasn't no. wasn't the Gershwin? Oh, it was the there was the Gershwin. That's what it was. So you recommended La Procession, and yeah. we didn't even contact each other about the Gershwin I ended up replacing that piece because I I asked you about um, colonial song yeah 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 and you gave the really nice answer of (laughs) yeah that's really hard which is like don't do that dummy (laughs) and I got I got the message (laughs) and took that out and put put the uh, the Gershwin in there so yeah the Gershwin is much I mean I and that's why I programmed it because um, it's a great piece of music and it's like a grade three yeah yeah and I needed uh, at that point the way that our our cycling worked out over the course of that year because we played a forty minute concert in February, which was hard. Yeah, you know, I I needed to focus on the next level up. Okay, and and then pro, but I still had to fill the twenty minutes, and I wanted to do something light that I thought the kids would really like. It would get at them. Yeah, yeah, and that was the perfect. Piece yeah. and I tried four or five other pieces, but that they actually voted for that one. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, I got confused there, but I knew there was some type of 
coincidence that we had. With yeah. That, so yeah, but but anyway, you know, so the National Concert Band Festival was great because I could go there and listen to great literature, and the greatest minds in the business were in the same room at the same time, and they were sitting there during their breaks doing nothing but listening, and so and they were always so open, you know, so. You know, in a break between songs, between bands, you know, during the stage setups, conversations mm-hmm. about the literature, you know, or about anything really. But, um, you know, so so being involved in that event, it, it really did change my life. And, and I'm not saying that because now I work for Music for All helping to develop that. I say that because when they asked me to come and be a part of it, I'm like... I would be the teacher who I am today. That that event has been a source of inspiration for me my entire career. And uh, would I give back? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> without without blinking an eye, you know. And and I think that I've brought some things to that that have made a difference. And and I've given back, which is important to me. Um. So, you know, that event. Talk about we're talking about literature. That event has uh, every year I could go to that thing and listen to music and say, boy, can I do that with my group? And, you know, I'm listening at that point. And, and, um, you know, so for me moving backwards again, the first step is just listening Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's finding the music, um, through listening to concerts or, um, listening to CDs, listening to YouTube now, listening to Spotify or iTunes, you know, there's a million places to go now. But, you know, the advantage that I have is that I've listened to music all my life and, you know, I can pull out the National Band Association selective music list and I I know 80% of the pieces that are in there. Mm -hmm. So when it comes time to um, picking music, I'll start with the list, you know, and and I'll go through that and think of possibilities and oh, you know like oh, I like that piece I've never done that um, will it fit my band you know and that mm-hmm. that's the those are the questions <laughs> you know that that ha- I like the piece I know that I can get excited about teaching that piece um, and performing that piece I know I can get excited about it um, but will my students be successful with it. And, you know, those are two really important things that I think uh, sometimes get lost mm-hmm. with with band directors is that they know it'll fit their band. They know that they can be successful with it. They know that their students can be successful with it. But are they inspired by it? Sure. Um, and then the other side of it is they get inspired by it, by it but their students can't be successful with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually it goes that way more than the other and what does Uh, success mean with that well there's the that's that's the question (laughs) what is success um and and how do you define it um i can define it in that when we're done with a piece students liked the piece they were excited about it it touched something in their soul yet they had they had to get over a mountain. Mm. They might not have thought that they could get over, but they got over it. Whatever that mountain was, you know, 
And um, so setting setting an expectation, setting um, uh, a piece of music that they can't play when they sight read it, um, and they have to work really hard at it, and they discover something about themselves that makes them a different person. So, um, you know, and that's the, it doesn't happen with every piece or every concert, but, you know, that's the goal. So picking a piece of music that I, that I know touches my soul and, um, I can then show that and model that to my students. And that's how we all learn music from modeling from people that are stronger musicians than us. And so I can model that excitement like Gary Smith modeled his excitement to me on the first day of marching line I rehearsal and, and it touched my soul. I'm like, wow, look how excited he is about that. Um, and there have been other, you know, moments. That's just one that's sticking in my brain today. Um, but can I show that to my students? And at the same time, uh, am I giving them a goal, um, a challenge that they can attain? Are they going to be successful at the end of the cycle on that piece? Um, and I take a lot of great pride in the fact that the majority of my students, when they graduate from my band program, go on to play in college. Um, I did not burn them out. Right. Yeah. And some of them go on to play in marching band in college. Some of them go on to play in their jazz bands in college. Some of them go on to, uh, play in their, co play in concert bands in their college. Uh, a small number of them go into music. Um, I'm proud of that. Um, and I'm proud of the fact that the ones that do go into music stay with it. You know, I, I think I counted recently, I've got 28 former students that are still teaching. Wow. Uh, and 15, professional musicians hmm. and um i'm proud of that um because somehow those things that i just talked about you know with literature finding the goal that was achievable but not easy uh and at the same time um touched a part of their soul that music should do um you know that that's always been my goal yeah and, um, you know, the goal that the, the achievable goal, how, you know, we're defining what success is really, um, comes from setting what success is in terms of music, right? So, you know, the criteria that you see on evaluation form, you know, what's always at the top. What's the number one thing at the top of the sheet? Sound. <laughs> Never is tone not at the top of the sheet. Yeah. Why? Because that is the hardest thing to teach, I think. Uh, because it's not something you can cram for. It's not something that, oh, I have a test tomorrow, so I'm going to cram for it. I have a concert tomorrow, so today I'm going to play with a good sound. That's not the way that works. You know, it comes from... Uh, consistent work over a long period of time and the right kind of work over 
a long period of time with the right kind of assistance, the right kind of guidance, and developing a concept of sound in the student's brain. So, you know, developing the right sound that is a characteristic sound for their instrument. And at the same time, what is a characteristic band sound, you know, in developing that in their brain at the same time. Um, so, you know, when you say success, the number one thing success for me for a band is the sound that they make. And it's interesting that I evaluate a lot of bands, you know, in my affiliation with the National Concert Band Festival, as well as um, the Blue Ribbon Award for the National Band Association. I listen to a lot of bands. And, you know, the immediate thing that I hear is the sound. And I even tell my students that. I, I can tell when I'm evaluating a band within the first 30 seconds whether that's a great band, <laughs> could be a great band, or it's not. You know, and that's just comes from sound. The same is true when you listen to an individual player. I mean, it it's comes from sound because it's mature maturity shows up and um uh uh work ethic shows up and you know all that there's a million things um so to me the sound of the band is is key and that's you know sitting here in this room um you know when i was a college student going to super state every year and i'll never forget the first time i heard the joliet central band have i ever told you this I'm not sure, but tell it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love telling this story because you know I grew. I told you I I grew up with great band programs in 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 my youth. I was surrounded by them constantly, and uh, um, not until I heard the Joliet Central Band do Armenian dances at Superstate did I know how a band really could sound, and it was in that room too. And I, I uh, there was a phrase that Ted spun at the end that just went down to nothing. I mean, it was just, I didn't know where the band ended and the room took over. You know, like the reverberation yeah. in the room. And it was a big band, I'm assuming. That. Oh, yeah, it was a huge band. Uh, but the contrast and uh, the restraint that Ted played with, uh, Ted's band played with. And it was, you know, there were these big sounds of beautiful sounds, full, you know, bottom heavy, but, you know, uh, you could hear the middle of the band, uh, you know, those big chords that are all over Armenian dances, which is what Alfred Reed does so well, you know, how he scores for band. And, uh, but then at the same time, the subtle, delicate, things that he did in that piece i mean you could argue whether armenian dance is a great piece of music great great piece of music or not a lot of people don't respect it a lot of people do i love it um but it wasn't and it, i love armenian dances more <laughs> because of hearing ted liga do that with the Juliet band i mean that was that was huge for me hmm. Um, and we played Armenian dances in high school. We played it in the Kennedy Center, which was a great experience for me. Uh, you know, it touched me at that 
at that point in my life. And so when I saw that Juliet was doing, I love that piece. I want to hear this band play it. And I didn't know it could be that good, (laughs) you know? So, uh, that, that discovery is always there. And, but the sound of the band again, you know, it's just what, you know, fills my heart. Um, probably the most growth, um, of my teaching has been how to get bands to play in tune. And when you say, that the band sounds better now than it did five years ago. It's, I think it's because I know how to teach intonation better. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I think now that being said, I think that I know how to get, I I know how to do it, you know, And, and again, it's not an easy process. Just like, you know, tone, uh, and sound that intonation it takes a lot of time to get kids to understand what in tune sounds like you're not teaching them how to play in tune you're teaching them what in tune sounds like okay and and to me i think kids come in and they don't know what in tune sounds like if uh, unless you know they've had a really good middle school band where uh their middle school teacher taught them to play in tune they don't know what that sounds like and so um, teaching them to play in tune is a challenge and there are many, many steps to get them to do that. And it takes a great deal of time and effort. So I'm saying these things. So tone and intonation, I think are the two hardest things to teach, um, students and bands. And when I evaluate next to, um, university professors, and I listen to the comments that they make or the things, and I'm not saying all of them, but some of them, um, they don't value that as much as I do. Uh, and honestly, I think, you know, the great high school band directors that I talk to, every one of them, I can't think of any of them that have been successful high school band directors for a really long time that don't share my um, my thoughts in that regard, Hmm. you know? And so, but, uh, you know, so that in evaluating bands now, there's a wider and wider discrepancy because I guess I'm old school in that regard. Um, whereas, you know, what's not old school is valuing brighter sounds, brasher sounds you know the cbdna you know uh uh, we played a cbdna in february um and a lot of those bands play really loud like like you know bright sounds almost like a jazz version of jazz for concert band and you could make the case too that you know if you listen to chicago symphony those brass players are bright um, not as bright now as I think they used to be, hmm. you know, but they were bright. And when you hear that, that orchestral brass sound in a wind ensemble, it's a brighter sound because of that. I mean, it's the orchestral brass sound in a wind ensemble, one to a part. Um, whereas, you know, I think the symphonic band is born from the orchestral sound the full orchestral sound, which includes the string, the warmth of the strings. Um, 
and rarely do brass players have to provide warmth in an orchestral setting. They're there to play bright. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then again, it comes down to teaching sound. You know, we have a great jazz program. Um, and teaching them to play with a jazz sound means that they have to shift gears from jazz band to concert band. You know, that there's listening up and listening to the brighter lead trumpet player versus in concert band listening down to the dark tuba player. You know, so it's just that concept of sound, knowing what it is, being able to teach it. Sure. And then, you know, obviously, once you get past sound and intonation, Where's the music? <laughs> right? Yeah. Where's the phrase? Where's the subtlety? <laughs> where's where's the thought process of you have to make decisions, right? There's so many band directors, young band directors. They're playing great. They know, okay, this is a great piece of music. And they're listening to a recording. And they do it exactly the way the recording is, right? Um, but where is their own personality, right? And... And is there a fresh take? I mean, you want great musicians. I really enjoy a fresh take on a classic work. And I always strive to do something along those lines because I don't want to do it like everyone else has done it. I think that's a creative process of classical music. It's it's the interpretation. And and I involve students in that interpretation as well because I don't want to own all of that. Mm-hmm. I want to have that discussion with them. I want them to be thinking about that, you know. Um, so when I'm doing my own interpretation, I'm listening to five interpretations more. You know, I'm always looking for a new idea. What's a fresh take on this? And sometimes I get burned with that when there is a traditionalist that's listening and only wants to hear it this way, you know, but that is a positive in the new, the new world of, uh, music and everybody wants you to have your own take. And so I, I find that I, I get less less pushback to doing it, you know, within reason. I mean, it has to be grounded in in tradition, but a slight twist that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Not not to have a, a slight twist just to have a slight twist, but one that makes musical sense. There's balance involved with it. There's, um, you know, just a lot of thought put into it. And, yeah. and I... Oftentimes you can you hear it. Man, a band director gets up and just blows through the piece. They've been concentrating on teaching fundamentals, but they haven't put the thought in on interpretation, yeah. or they haven't picked the piece that allows them to have interpretation. Like one of the great moments of my career, really, was we did the Bach Pasakalian Fugue in C minor. And it was a Leonard Falcone transcription. And the only recording I could he- find of it was Ravelli doing it with a Michigan man, which is not a bad source. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but then I started listening to orchestral versions of it, which I do as if it's a transcription of it. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to hear orchestras do it, you know. Um, so I started listening to the Stokowski version of it. And I'm like, that's a lot different. And and so I bought the orchestral version of the Stokowski. And I started thinning out the Falcone version. And so the version that we ended up doing was a combination of the Falcone 
and the um, Stokowski. And it was so much fun to retranscribe. Sure. You know, and, and I think, I mean, that's what any band that does transcriptions has to retranscribe. Because there's a sound that uh, is in your brain and anybody's brain of the orchestra doing it and the orchestra sound. And you have to try and get your band somewhat close to what that orchestral sound is. Well, everybody's band's different. You know, the balance of your tubas or, you know, how, how do you get three tubas to play like eight string basses and... And, you know, most transcriptions that I look at are way too thick. And, uh, you know, it's like the Hinesley version of transcriptions was however many players, his formula was however many players in the orchestra play that part is how many people in the band should play that part. Mm. But that doesn't take into account just, you know, the volume characteristics that a, that a trumpet can make. You know, so you, I mean, it's constant ebb and flow like you know the italian algiers comes to mind that i did a few years ago and i thinned so much of that out we just did nabucco over the summer and i thinned so much of that out okay and then you know this i learned from ted uh moving players around to fill parts you know like um what's a good example i mean ted I remember talking about this with Ted when I was really young. It still sticks in my mind. He had a he had an instance once. He didn't have a strong, I think, English horn player. Mm -hmm. He rewrote it for soprano saxophone, mm -hmm. played it, and then got a judge's comment that said that was a wonderful English horn sound. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, Ted, I, I can't remember the list, but what I remember the conversation with Ted vividly because it never had entered my brain before he said it to me. And he went through a whole list of substitutions that he had made, like trumpet, muted trumpet for oboe, uh, uh, trombone for tenor sax, you yeah. know, just tell the trombone player to play with more vibrato and you know, there's a million things that you can do. Um, and I thought, well, no, it says on the score right here, I'm supposed yeah. to play that. So that's what I have to do. And, you know, any band director stays as close to the original score as they can, but it is okay to do substitutions. Um, you know, like uh, we did Andrea Chenier in the summer and there were huge euphonium parts. Um but my euphonia player ended up not going on the trip. So, I mean, we knew the piece because sure. we had done it earlier in the year. I'm going to play it on the – so I had a tenor sax play it really loud. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Cool. So, so you, you hit on a – you, no, okay. you hit on a piece that is, you know, pretty emotional for me because I think I wouldn't be as emotional about it if I didn't listen to so many bands and, like – just give me five minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. with you, you know. So let's do um, a 180 and let's go from emotional to, I don't know, maybe more more technical here. Yeah. Um, assessment in bands. Is it okay just to say our concert is the assessment? That's our public test and that's that. Or do we need to do more assessment? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> How do you assess your band? Every kid. Every kid. Plays every part. Okay. Until they can play it right. Okay. There's no shortcuts. And that's that. That's it. 
I mean, it's not, I mean, it's simple, but it's not. Yeah. If you, you know, and, um, and it takes time. I mean, I learned that from my dad, you know, back in the day they were making cassette recordings Mm -hmm. and get a copy of the music and mark it up. And I still do that because, you know, I use smart music a lot now and there's, there's programs where the music is, um, is a smart music program and you don't have to list as a director, you don't have to listen, uh, because the program will assess whether they play the part or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, oftentimes it's not right. Yeah. And you do need to go back and listen. Um, but, um, I don't want, there was a period of time where I, I got into a rut where smart music was dictating my concerts. Okay. The music I programmed. It was early um, in my usage of smart music because, you know, the library was, there was a lot of pieces there that I really wanted to do that would fit my band. And, you know, so I went that route. Um, But in later years, you know, recently, they haven't been building up the high school versions of the smart music library. So I've had to revert back to having the kids submit recordings, give me a Xerox of their music, and I mark it up. Okay. Um, and it's a back and forth until they get it to a certain place where I'm comfortable that they know it. Yeah. Or we get right up to the concert and I'm slashing their parts because they can't play them. Um, you know, I try and do that as early before a concert as I can so that everybody's comfortable. Sure. Sure. You know, and I've compensated for somebody not playing a part if I need to. But you can, so you can do that without smart music and, and maybe if you're in a band program with very few resources, you yeah. just have to be a little more analog about it. We got phones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the kids can make a recording on their phone. I sure, mean, sure. most kids have, I mean, in my community, everybody has a smartphone. Yeah. Is that true for your community? Um, no, not, not everybody here. However, uh-huh. our school, um, we're about 75% low income here. Right. Um, so not all of our kids have phones. They don't all have internet access. Okay. That being said, the way we do it here is uh-huh. that we are a one-to-one school. So the school does provide a laptop for every kid. There you go. So we do smart music, but the other option I give the kids, some kids just don't like doing smart music. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. It's easier for me, but I'll just say you, I'll have, I'll have office hours after school. They can just come and play it live for me. Mm check you know right mark it off on that or they have some, yeah as you said some kids with the phones that do have them they'll press record they'll submit an mp3 of it see i like the fact letting them do the recording over and over and over and over yeah is motivating for them to practice uh and it's motivating for them to problem solve on their own um and so i think that's an important process in their learning so anything that i can do to avoid listening to them one-on-one i do it that's the absolute last step for sure. me okay. okay you've done this 10 times you're not passing this this part of the piece come into play for me and then sometimes you know and they're getting help in my situation everybody in our top band takes private lessons so i can avoid the one-on-one sure easier than than other people can. But I mean, you know, again, I grew up around 
bands where there was no smart music. There was no private lesson teachers. The revolving door was my front door of my house with yeah. my dad, you know. Yeah. So I'm not afraid to do that uh, if I have to. So, you know, the last step is giving them some insight. For me, you're like, well, why don't you do this? Or let's cut that one note out and mm -hmm. see if it makes it easier. Or, you know, the whole problem-solving process, which is really important. And you're teaching kids to problem-solve, too. I mean, that's that's what we are trying. That's what good teachers do. You know, don't solve the problem for them. Teach them to solve the problem themselves. Sure. And so, you know, I'll talk about that in rehearsal a lot. You know, we'll get through a, a testing run and and – a percentage of kids didn't pass the first round of smart music and and then we'll have a discussion it's not just me it's the other kids you know they're like well i tried it this way and blah blah, blah. And, and it's not just the musical thing uh the musical challenge that comes up in that discussion sometimes it's the challenge of getting over the smart music problems mm -hmm. you know just the technical problems uh, i learn a lot listening to the kids talk about it because sure. you know i don't know what they go through to get the smart music to a certain score. They've all done tricks and, you know, problem solving, trial and error to get to get it to work. Um, sometimes they find shortcuts <laughs> that they shouldn't find. Like, you know, we were doing Scheherazade one year and uh, they figured out that they didn't, the trumpets didn't need the double tongue. Digga, 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 you know, all that. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff of that. All the, all the, or triple tonguing rather, and and uh, and they they figured out that all they had to do was hold a long note, <laughs> and smart music would mark it right. Wow! <laughs> and you know, I figured that out yeah. later, and you know, then I okay down the line, Ravelli style, right? Sure, sure. One at a time. It was. I've I've had those instances with percussion, hmm. where some of the kids found out. I don't know what the heck it was. It was some mallet part, but they found out they could just tap on their leg. It was just reading the rhythm, mm. and it would pass them off. So I've yeah, never but used... I listened to all of them. Yeah, you know, kind you of the first it. few times. And I'm like, <laughs> I remember I pulled the kid in. I said, "I want to play you this great recording. This awesome percussionist." Oh, okay. Kid just goes, "Yeah, that sounds like me." <laughs> all right, go do it again. That's funny. Why don't Why don't people? Um, assess bands that much it seems like that that way what do you uh, think it is uh they don't want to take the time okay um but they want the great performance though don't they they need to... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like anything else in this world you have to be able to crawl through glass okay and you know not be afraid you know and, and you know what it's interesting too it's like you know you, we t we're talking about this crawling through glass and and spending this time researching music, spending time one-on-one -on -one with kids, spending time, uh, what's the best way to get kids from point A to point B? What's the latest technique? What's the latest this? What you know? What's the latest technology that I can use to get me from point A to point B? I mean, there's constant things that you have to be on top of. But if on the other side of that, if you don't maintain balance in your life, you're screwed. Mm. You will never be able to identify appropriately with kids or parents if you don't have a life outside of your music classroom or your music rehearsal. I mean, you have to have other things in your life that you get excited about. Um, and, you know, for me, my family 
was, you know, the great grounding point. My wife, you know, um, yelling at me saying, <laughs> I need you home, you know, and, and, but her also at the same time understanding how important what we do is and the impact that it makes on kids and, uh, how important it is to me and respecting that, you know, and so that balance is, you know, it's constant. It's what great art is. It's what great life is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just trying to maintain that balance all the time with being a good dad for me and uh, having hobbies outside of music and maintaining great friendships with people and, um, you know, all those balances. We talk about not being afraid to work hard and, and to do the things that you need to do to have a great band and to make a difference in kids' lives and, and in music. But also, you've got to have some for yourself, too. Is there anything in your career that you can think of that's a, a particular um, highlight? Hmm. Highlight of my career? Um, career, uh, not even career, maybe just, you know, it, it can go outside of that. Any performances you've, you've seen, any places you've been that were because of music or music education? Well, it's always the energy you know, there's, there's always a surprise of the energy between an audience and the band. And, you know, when I was a younger teacher, I thought, how do I define what a great band is? Like you asked me that question earlier. What do I do? Well, if I've been to Midwest four times and I've been to <laughs> uh, Superstate, you know, 50 times and I, well, I must be a great band if I do all those things. But those are only measures of what happens in rehearsals and what happens in concerts. And, you know, there are times that I'm surprised by the electricity that happens in a concert. The most electricity I've ever had in a concert was in Italy. Hmm. That's not true. In, in France, too. Uh, those were, you know, and I never did those till later in life, but the European reaction to our bands is it's exhilarating you know we just uh i'm fortunate to be in a community where we can do that um very fortunate uh that said if if i can do it and i don't do it i'm a fool you yeah. know so um they don't have the system of music education in europe that we have here um, and when they hear some of our great bands over there, they are floored that they are teenagers. Wow. And so, you know, when we go, when we've been to Italy and France, I've done two trips, two to Italy, one to France. Um, we played in small towns. Our concerts were all in small towns and I didn't want to go to touristy places and con and do concerts because people aren't invested in the concert. You go to a small town, they don't have bands from Arlington Heights sure, sure. come to them and they're genuinely excited. <laughs> this last, this last tour, um, we were at, we went to a restaurant before the concert we were eating and the, and the chef there spoke no English and, and he was just a blue collar guy 
And he was genuinely excited about the fact that we were in their town. And he came out to give me a second plate of dinner. (laughs) He he just wanted to do something, you know. And then when we went to the concert, he told me, you know, through, uh, I'm coming to the concert. But he didn't get off work. But our concert went late, later than it should have. And, and he was so genuinely excited to come up to me after the concert to show me that he came to the concert, you know, mm-hmm. and he had, he had his, he his best shirt on. It was all buttoned up to the top. He was genuinely excited that, that he had had that experience. And, and, you know, the shouts of Bravo and, um, and what happened in Italy with the audiences singing with us, you know, when we did Va, we did Va Pensiero, which is like to Italians, like God bless America is to an American, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah, just yeah. know it. And, um, so they were singing the Va Pensiero from Nabucco with the band. And I told the kids they're going to sing. And they did. And the look on the kids faces is just priceless. Wow. Yeah. I mean, those are great. Those are great highlights for me because, the excitement of the music was in the room. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just me working harder than everybody else, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was me and the kids feeling that and the audience feeling it and the energy, the synergy that happened from those three things happening together. Sure. Um, I would say, you know, also um, the sense of accomplishment in the concerts that we played at the National Concert Band Festival because they were so challenging. Um, and then to actually accomplish them and to play them at a high level, you know, 40 minutes of tough literature, um, hard. Yeah. And, um, um, I think the feeling of accomplishment with marching band and, and the, the group effort that that takes, there's less of a group effort. There's a group group effort with a symphonic band, but it's less of a group effort than the marching band. You know, the staff that we lean upon so heavily in in accomplishing great marching band shows, and and the mentors that I lean on for advice with marching band, and and the people that are doing the grunt work, and you know all the different aspects of having a competitive marching band, and then on the same at the same level doing great music with yeah. the marching band, not crap. Um where the kids walk away and have a music experience that they will remember. They'll have a melody that they'll remember in 30 years versus one that if they're lucky, they'll forget immediately when they're done (laughs) with the show, which I see in a lot of marching band shows. Um, And then, you know, great, great experiences with our jazz program where they just play Everything just comes together. Everything locks in. You know, the time is right there. The soloists have a great day. You know, all the stars align, and and the 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 um, the, the difference in you know the the contrast that happen within a jazz uh, performance are significant. You know, sure. it's just all just. I mean, it's why I teach. I mean, those are those are highlights of my career. When when all the stars align. And um, the connection happens between me, students, and the music. And when the audience gets thrown in on that, that's another level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a good um, place to close out soon um, would be talking about some professional organizations here. And you mentioned earlier when we're in college, 
we're in it. And as soon as you're out of college, you got to find it on your own. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about the professional organizations that you're involved with? You've mentioned Music for All, uh, National Band Association and things like that. And what um, they can do for bands and band directors. I know you went into the Music for All thing a little bit. Um, what about National Band Association? Well, the National Band Association has been a personal, you know, that's a place where I sought out information. Yeah. Uh, when I was a young director, actually, my first experience with the National Band Association was when I was a uh, junior in high school and I played in the National Honor Band with uh, Arnold Gabriel conducting. That was an amazing experience. Um, one that has stayed, we just had Colonel Gabriel out, uh, last February mm. to work with the band. It's the first time he's ever worked with my band. And it was fun to just think back on that, uh, experience. Um, but so what the National Band Association meant to me should also be what it means to other band directors. And that is, I learned a lot from, uh, the instrumentalist as a young teacher, um, the journal, the NBA journal, which is not part of the instrumentalist is really, um, beneficial because there's great articles in there. Uh, a lot of things for all walks of life, uh, all places in the band world where you lie, there's, there's something in there for you. And, and, you know, the National Band Association serves everything and everyone in the band world. Um, and we we work really hard to try and have something in there that's going to uh, appeal to every walk. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we probably don't hit the mark, but we're trying Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that journal. Um, so I think those are the biggest resources in the National Band Association. I think the selective music list, the new one that we just came out with, is awesome. Cody Birdwell at uh, University of Kentucky did uh, did the uh, oversee on that, and he it was a three year process. The book was getting huge, and now they cut it by a third. Okay, uh, and so it, it truly is selective, and it's still. You know, it's it's a good doc. It's a great document. I, I since it has come out, I I have it in my backpack. I mean, I don't go anywhere without it. I'm constantly looking at it for ideas, especially now as I'm thinking through my uh, process for uh, the music that we're going to play next year. Sure. That's my go-to list. It's a great resource. Um, the online stuff that we have, there's a lot of resources there. The projects that we have are great for band directors um the blue ribbon award is is a big award uh for excellence that rewards depth in the program not just you know so it's just not about the recordings it's also about how many students you have that go on to college how many students do you have that are participating in solo ensemble how many you know that kind of yeah. a, just the breadth of of the program um do you have a program other than your concert band that plays well mm -hmm. you know that's all evaluated in, in the process. Um, we have an affiliation now that we started with Music for All and uh, College Band Directors National Association that we call the Music Ed Alliance. And our first big project has been the William P. Foster uh, project that I've talked with you about. 
um, that rewards schools that have 50% or more free or reduced lunch, um, underserved schools. And um, I'm really proud of that. Uh, it is so inspiring to hear. You know, we had our first high school submissions last year. These are really good bands, and these band directors are doing more with less. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I keep thinking back to what my dad was doing. You know, when I was a young band director, we had the revolving door. There's certain things you can't do now that you could do sure. in the 70s, you know, in terms of conflict of interest and one-on-one, which is, you know, you got to be careful about that now as a teacher. Um but these guys are all making it happen. I mean, there were 25 submissions. They were some great bands mm. that sent things in. And now those people are going to be part of our process moving forward. And um, we have them writing articles. And, you know, we have resources on the way, on the Music Ed Alliance website for teachers and underserved uh, communities and um it's just inspiring. It's another, you know, so it's not just the NBA in that in that example. Sure, but, sure. But the other organizations, all three organizations providing the resources that they provide best. Yeah. You know, and so we're taking the strengths of all those organizations and using them to compensate for the weaknesses of all those organizations. Sure. Which is really, really cool. Great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we... Um it was really cool. I think I contacted you a year or two ago mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to just sit down with you and, and, and pick your brain. And, you know, I remember being a little intimidated because we hadn't really met much before that. But you were just the, the nicest guy. We sat down, had dinner and just talked band the whole time. That's and what that's it's about. And that's what I, I love about this profession, too. I think we've got some of the best professional development, you know, things like. Uh, music for all midwest imea things like that the kids are involved the students uh, uh the, the the teachers are involved parents get to come watch we've got experts in the field like you that are helping out um so yeah i i personally really appreciate you know everything you've done and your organizations have done as well so thank you for coming out scott yeah well i mean it's uh it's really cool that you're doing this thank you. it's another resource it's another place for people to go and learn but They have to take the time to do it, right? (laughs) But it's cool to put it out there. So thank you for doing this. Absolutely. And there are some of the podcasts I haven't heard. I'm looking forward to hearing them. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Scott. Okay. Thank you.